I appreciated um, Pastor Bill's comments last week about the mystery of prayer. By the way, I need to apologize for sounding like Barry White this morning. <laughs> All right, let's do a generational poll. How many of you know who Barry White is? Okay, how many of you don't? All right, so we'll do that in the second service. We'll see if younger or older, that kind of thing, who's showing up at which service. But uh, if you don't know who Barry White is, don't bother. But anyway, that's how I'm going to sound this morning. Get my sermon on. So uh, last week um, there was a there was a mention in uh, the message on prayer, the mystery of prayer, and how God does something with prayer and the the strangeness of Him requiring it of His people and it offering it to us as a vehicle to communicate with God and and how it's really difficult for us to wrap our heads around. We don't understand why prayer is necessary. We don't understand how it works. You know, we don't understand, you know, why he values it so much. Um, the scriptures give us plenty of indication that he does. But to us, it's by and large a mystery. There's lots of parts about prayer that are not a mystery, though, but that's on our end of things. You know, uh, how we should pray or when we should pray or any of those kinds of things. I think we have a tendency to make those bigger mysteries than they were ever intended to be. The strange part about prayer that God does and, and how he does it and everything, we're going to let God be God and, and let him deal with those kinds of things and trust that he hears us and trust that he uses it as a vehicle and trust that he uses it for his purposes. But how we complicate prayer and how we approach the subject itself, um, we probably put a lot more effort into tweaking it or obsessing about how to go about doing it than God ever intended. We have... Um, our various approaches based on, I think, perhaps our personality. Uh, we have the communion folks, I'm going to call them. They're, they're the ones that have a, an experiential goal or an experiential um, practice of prayer. You're, if you're a communion type prayer, this is just my term, I don't know if it's going to work or hold up, but you're going to think a little bit more about the atmosphere of prayer. You're going to think about your, your emotional connection to God as you're speaking to him. And you're going to evaluate the strength of your prayer life based on whether or not you're feeling that connection based on whether or not you're able to get maybe alone in that environment with the Lord and you're going to approach it more like from a prayer closet standpoint. And uh, you're going to um, uh, think in terms of like the Psalms, like in the scriptures, uh, David, mostly uh, David contributed to the, the book of Psalms. And David writes in a way that is very experiential. And it's, and it's funny because he kind of morphs through a prayer in most of his songs where he starts off with a position and we think, oh, this isn't going to end well. You know, he'll typically start off with, woe is me, or Lord, why have you forsaken me? Or how come I'm the one being chased down by all of my enemies? And you think, boy, this is just going to be a thumbsucker's prayer is what this is going to be. <laughs> but it turns out he kind of evolves, if I dare use that word in church. But he kind of evolves in his prayer life to, to come around to the point that, God, you are in control. You've never forsaken me. You've never left me high and dry. So I will hold on until the end. I will wait for you to arrive in all of your strength and in all of your might. And so David has a, has a communion type of prayer life. Now, I'll, I'll contrast that just a little bit with those of you that maybe have a little bit more of a duty-focused 
uh, prayer life where you think in terms of a discipline of prayer. Perhaps you have a list that you're working through or that you accumulate names of people who are sick or people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ or something. And so your your mind goes towards um, perhaps a regimen where you're thinking, I'm going to pray in the mornings because if I don't pray first thing in the morning, my day is shot or I won't get back that time because once the thing, once the, uh, the, the craziness starts, it's hard to get that quiet time or something. And so you might see your either the strength of your prayer life or the thing that you're missing in terms of I wish I could get back to that discipline. I wish I could get back to, to doing the thing that feels more concrete to me that seems more like I can check off the list. Now, there's, there's books and there's sermons and there's teaching everywhere that will sometimes put those two focuses against one another. You know, if you're just praying through lists, you're not feeling enough. Or if you're just feeling woo-woo in all your prayer, you're not getting things done in your prayer life. And we have a tendency to put those two prayer focuses at odds with one another. But I don't believe that's the way the Lord ever intended it. In fact, he says, not that this is the only thing he says on prayer, but this is certainly helpful to us. Second Chronicles 7, he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and break out their prayer lists and do their discipline of, no. He says, if my people will humble themselves and light incense candles and put on Hillsong worship music and get into that environment. No, he doesn't say any of that. He simply says, if they'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. When I was uh, doing a little bit of um, internet searching about prayer instruction and things, I went onto Amazon and I said, well, there's plenty of books probably written on the subject just to prove my point. And I did a quick search. I didn't forget what the keyword search I did, but it was something along the lines of prayer instruction on Amazon or something. And I went into the book department specifically. I didn't filter down based on whether or not they were evangelical or biblical um, prayer instruction. And I just simply said prayer instruction. So there could be a bunch of stuff in there skewing my data, but I got 135,000 entries of things for sale to help me out with figuring out how to pray. I went to Google and I said, I'm going to just type in the phrase prayer instruction and see what comes in. Again, I didn't say evangelical or King James only prayer instruction or anything like that. I didn't filter it down to something that, you know, would be, I just said prayer instruction and I got over 18 million hits on that. Now, to be a little bit more close to home and what we can relate to, our online video service that we have here, Right Now Media, I'll put in a little commercial. That is free to all of us, by the way. If you want to use, like that video we saw from Max Lucado, that was um, an example. I pulled that right off of Right Now Media. And we have teaching like that all over the place. And so if you're interested in that, see the folks out in the entryway. They'll give you the background on Right Now, and you'll email me, and I'll get you set up. But uh, when I went on Right Now Media and searched for prayer, I got 225 videos come up that are going to help me figure out something about prayer. So even in my own tightly um, condensed parameters of the types of teachers I would agree with and the instruction that I'd be looking for, I got hundreds of of, uh, content titles to help me figure out how to pray or or the importance of prayer. Now, my goal in what we're going to talk about this morning isn't to make it sound like we don't need those things, because it's always easy for the person that has the microphone to sound kind of snobby and be like, I don't know why people make such a big deal. I mean, I get it. I, I, I need somebody to come at it a different angle for me every once in a while to motivate me to do something, something that I know to do better, but I don't. 
And so you have teachers all over the place just putting it in their own words or in their own experiences, and something just kind of clicks when you see it. So I'm not um, downplaying the, the fact that we need all these different resources and things. But I am saying that we as humans, we overcomplicate the process so often, and we put the mystery in the wrong place where the mystery is. The mystery really is how God uses it all, but it isn't really a mystery that we should and can come to him and communicate with him in a dialogue fashion, in a way that is pleasing to him and satisfying to us and, and all of those things. So my goal is to not repeat all that's been said or to research all those titles, but to attempt to meet you where your hang-ups are. And I, I've got to confess, I've had a prayer hang-up for a while that um, I shared with my wife, and it, it didn't go well. It made me look pretty foolish. Um, I've had this thing for so long that, um, and it's, it, you know, sometimes growing up in church, you end up just kind of instantly picking on everything, you know, and it's not fair to to, the, to Christianity. When a kid grows up in church, you see through everything, it seems. And I got so tired of the meal prayers, you know what I mean? You've got your peanut butter and jelly in front of you and dear Lord, thank you for this. And then you have to throw in and for the hands that prepared it and all these kinds of things. And, you know, and, and you have your meal prayer and I got so tired. It seems so rote to me. It seems so performancey. And I, I felt like I was just bowing my head for the sake that my wife and kids were listening and, and all these things. And I know I didn't want to go to, well, if I'm frustrated with this, I'm going to make it more meaningful and then start praying a sermon or something like that. I wasn't going to go in that direction. But I was just feeling like, what's the point? So I remember I shared with my wife one time, I was like, you know, this whole meal prayer thing. It's like, you know, I pray throughout the week. I'm a pastor, for heaven's sake. I mean, I'm praying with people all the time. We're calling out strength from heaven above. And then I have to pray over my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Remember? And so I said, it just doesn't seem to be all that rewarding or satisfying. And she goes, oh, okay. This is so funny coming from my wife because she's she very rarely tries putting herself in the position of being my teacher. But... In this instance, the student has become the master. She says, she says, um, oh, so I guess maybe next time our kids, we want them to say thank you. We don't have to really expect them to do that because it's not really, they might not be meaning it all that much in the moment and stuff. So with this whole polite thing and showing respect and everything, we don't have to mess with that anymore. Then is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like touche. So, so then I got to thinking about the fact that, you know, that's my hang up. My hang up is if it's still right for me to do so, you know, what we would say in the terms of manners about saying please and thank you, you've been raised right. And so I'd have to say that the Lord has raised me right. He's put me in a place to understand that all the blessings I received are from him. I should be able to bow my head and acknowledge his goodness and it not be all about me, whether or not I feel it or not but I should be able to say thank you for all that you've provided. And so that was my personal hang-up. So that means it's my responsibility to get over myself and to do what's right to do. And so I want to meet us where our hang-ups are. Why do I acknowledge that I need to pray? Why do I start the new year off saying, but I didn't pray that much in 2016. I want to increase that this year. But then I don't really see it through. Or the rubber doesn't really meet the road there. Or why do my prayers feel like when I finally get that discipline or I finally find that environment to do it, I feel like they're just hitting the ceiling. You know, I'm praying over that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but I'm thinking more about the people that are listening instead of the God who is wanting to commune with me. At some point, we need to find out why our attempts to establish new disciplines in prayer 
or um, our attempts to establish a greater connection in prayer keep failing. I want us to just go back to something that we started last year doing a small series uh, as time allows and stuff out of John chapter 10, where Jesus is saying, I'm the great shepherd. And so he's giving us a, a, a metaphor of us being in the sheepfold. We as his children are in this metaphor, his sheep. And so it gives us a greater perspective of how he provides for us, how he cares about us, how he nurtures us, how we communicate and follow him based on this analogy of being in the sheepfold. And we talked about so far, we've talked about that, that it's a peculiar life. Living in the sheepfold is a very strange thing. And it's OK. You'll, you'll do better in your Christian life if you just admit, OK, we're weirdos when it comes to how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in life. The things that we do because we are living for another country, because we are living for another uh, kingdom are going to be strange as we live in this sin tainted, broken down world. And we have to just accept that. And we have to own that. The things that I do as one of God's sheep are going to be weird. I'm going to hear voices that people around me aren't hearing. And I don't mean this like literally, like we should all start hearing things in our ears. But what the scriptures told us in John 10 was that the voice of the shepherd is recognizable to us. And we had talked about the strange thing is, is a bunch of shepherds could put all their sheep together and corral them all in the same pen without tagging them, without having them color-coded or anything like that. The next morning, the shepherds can go out into their corners of the prairie and start calling their sheep, and their sheep will find their shepherd because they recognize his voice only. And so Jesus was saying, you'll start to recognize a voice that the rest of the world can't hear. And so we'll start to follow him as our great shepherd. That's a peculiarity about being one of God's sheep. We also said that it was strange that we obey rules that have been laid out for us thousands of years ago that are just as relevant for our life today as they have ever been. And so this is something that where most people are trying to let those things collect dust and uh, prove that they're irrelevant. We not only recognize the voice of the shepherd coming through them, but we, we value those standards and we value those rules as things I need those for today. And that's a weird thing. Except for those of us that are living by them, we know that it's not so strange at all. And so this little aspect here that we're going to talk about is this life in the sheepfold is that we also talk to someone who doesn't seem to be there to anybody else. And that's this idea of communicating in prayer. And a, a few chapters after John 10, Jesus introduces another metaphor so we get a little bit better understanding of who he is in all of this. And we're going to go uh, to John chapter 15 and spend our time in the scriptures here. Um, to understand this idea of we talk to um, we talk to our great shepherd, even in ways that seem weird to those around us. Beginning in verse one, John 15 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit. He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they're burned. 
If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, the first two places that our eyes will go, depending on the things that we look for and stuff, but I think, I think that um, we as people will find at least two very important things in this passage, and we'll, it'll start to raise some questions in our mind. What does that really mean? Is that truly what it means based on what it says? Am I supposed to read that at face value, or is there a theologian somewhere that can give me a greater understanding so it doesn't sound just like it did in black and white? And those two places are, on the negative side, the first place is the part that says that they gather them up. That's those dried branches that are not producing fruit. They gather them up and they cast them into the fire. And immediately we go, okay, I need some answers on this because I need to know where I stand with all this. We have a tendency to start going, okay, uh, instantly I want to know, am I about ready to face punishment or is that going to happen to me or, or does God see me as that used up unproductive branch? So our minds go right there and we try to figure out where the answers are to that. On the positive side, we, uh, we might uh, perk up when we see that phrase, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so we see this passage and we want answers to some of these very critical things. We've seen misinterpretations of this all over the place. We've seen abuses of these teachings everywhere. But the point that I want us to focus on is rather than spending a lot of time answering all the specifics and the nuances of some of those very big statements, I want us to see the context of what Jesus is talking about here. Because there's at least one word that kept showing up all over the place. So when I see that kind of thing in repetition form, I'm thinking, okay, that's the important part of the passage. This is what Jesus wants his listeners to focus on. Now, you and I know, as he's talking about producing fruit, you and I know all too well at times in our life that feeling of, um, of a lack of production. How when we know we're not necessarily turning out any results. Now, specifically to the context here, Jesus is still introducing a kingdom. He's still bringing in a kingdom mindset of the things that please God. And we'll see that coming up in a verse later on. So he's not just talking about you fill in the blank on the results that you want for your life. He's saying, he's saying you will be producing fruit that the vine dresser, who's the father, will acknowledge is this is ripe, this is firm, this is something I'm going to be able to use for my goodness and in my kingdom. And you and I know that there are times in our life where we haven't been producing that kind of fruit. But on the contrary, we also know when we are. And how when you, when, you, when you see all of the other things that you can attain in life and then you, you experience that moment where you know you're impacting the kingdom of God, how all the other things that you can attain in life start to pale in comparison. There's this kind of e- eternality that, that, uh, that rises up within us. And we say, this is what counts. This is what matters. I had somebody on, um, I, I won't embarrass him by calling out who it was or anything, but somebody on Christmas Eve say to me before the service, he was so excited. He says, I evangelized this week. And, um, and, and if you're not familiar with that term, I know Pastor Ben's been teaching us a little bit about that as well, but it's simply sharing your faith and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, what we would call the gospel. And so this, this person said, and it was just all over him. He couldn't contain it. And he said, it was so funny. He says, now I know you knew you do this every day, but it's, this is new to me. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm Billy Graham, just rolling him right in. And, um, and, uh, and, and he said, and it was really simple, the interaction. 
and he met somebody in public and 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 uh, I think they acknowledged that he was praying before his meal or something like that and it started a conversation and he ended up inviting him to our services for Christmas Eve and that sort of thing but but there was a joy in him that I recognized because I've experienced that myself and yeah I'd obviously love to say it happens 7 days a week but his enthusiasm was so familiar to me because he was producing fruit that he knew was being stored up for eternity. And everything else that he accomplished that week, and I'm sure he did, just didn't even come to the service. He didn't come in and say, hey, I made 10 extra bucks this week, or hey, I did this. All his focus was is I think I'm leading somebody to the kingdom uh, of God who has been walking in darkness. And so that's my point in all of this is that we understand both the highs and the lows of being a fruit producing branch and how important it is uh, for us to be producing fruit. Even Matthew 7 says that by their fruit you will know them. He's speaking about us. He says if we're producing fruit for the kingdom, that's how you're going to know that these people follow Christ. I want us to just think about this, though, real quick. I, I want to just, you know, kind of expose how I often mechanically with, without or habitually see this passage. I want to emphasize God as the vine dresser that's, that's really looking to snip some things off a branch. Like, like, almost like he's going, this is way too cluttery. I'd love to get rid of some of these branches, especially these ones that aren't producing and everything. And I, I see, uh, you know, God, I emphasize more the side of God that wants to just, eh, you know, let's get, you know, these guys over here are really doing a great job. I don't, I don't want to mess with you. But as what's so helpful for me about this metaphor that Jesus gives us is what vine dresser doesn't want to see lots of fruit. Who doesn't want to wake up, come into the vineyard and just go, wow, look at all this produce. I mean, God the Father wants you and I to produce the things that bring him glory. It even says in verse 8 of this passage, it says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so you prove to be my disciples. So I'm admitting to you, seeing if there's anybody else that can relate to this, is I often have the, the, the viewpoint that as soon as I mess up, as soon as one of my, my fruit things hanging on a branch starts to wither, God's like, ah, see, I knew you'd fail. And, and that isn't the mindset of a vine dresser at all. The mindset of a vine dresser is, how can I get the most out of this branch that I possibly can? Now, we don't have time to camp on here, and, I, and I'm certainly not going into some kind of pop psychology, so you're good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. I'm talking about understanding that the vine dresser wants to pull from you as you are connected to the vine all that he can that brings him the most glory or the most promotion or in our world, the most likes. (laughs) It's not his goal to weed out, just to get rid of. He wants to resurrect and bring to life and that's the point of this passage. And, And so how does that Happen, And I think the secret to when we've been talking about prayer, I think the secret of that is found in the context. He says that one word that keeps showing up over and over and over in the New American Standard Version that we're reading this morning is the word abide in verse four. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, I, I don't use the word abide a lot in my everyday vocabulary. 
I don't just say like to Pastor Ben, hey, I've been missing our fellowship. Let's go abide together at Starbucks, you know? <laughs> It'd be weird. Like we'd be wearing our tunics and loafers or sandals and stuff like that. I don't know. It just seems like an old-fashioned word to me. But it's important for us to figure out what this means because the word abide comes before the ask whatever you wish part of the prayer instruction in this. He says abide in me and then ask whatever you wish. So abide is the qualifier to the asking. So we have to make sure we understand it. Some of the synonyms that come to mind for me are uh, the word permeate or saturate. You just get this impression of like being uh, abiding in Christ as this all-consuming saturation. And, and most of us would say, that's not really where I live. I don't walk around all day, every day thinking of scripture verses and singing worship songs in my head all the time and everything. Boy, I'd love to. I'd love to be at that pinnacle all the time. I'd love to always be at that mountaintop experience. But that's not been my experience. I'm glad it works for you, but that's not me. And that's really not what we're talking about here. But it is an aspect of it to be saturated with the person of Jesus Christ to, uh, as the NIV would use that word, to remain in him. We think about in our marriage context, to remain together, to abide together. You think about the commitment contractually, um, financially, all of those things. We start to uh, become one flesh more and more and more as each day goes on. That's what abiding um, is covering for. So I wanted to modernize this word abiding just a little bit and uh, pull up some images that might be familiar with most of us here if we have that here to come up. Um, uh, yes, there we go. Okay. So, um, anybody ever uh, heard the word, I'm, I'm being facetious, binging? Binge watch some Netflix or something like that. What I found interesting is I think customers started that concept of binge watching on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or something like that. And then eventually the companies figured out this is how people are using our services. You know, they created it so that you could watch your show anytime, every time. And then what it turned into is that you couldn't put it down and you didn't have to deal with all the commercials and you could do it whenever you wanted and everything. And so right from your laptop or your, so it became really convenient and everything. It became the perfect environment for us to completely lose ourselves in the stories that draw us to them. And so I'm thinking about this word abiding and I'm thinking, boy, you know, in our modern context, it is so easy for us to quote unquote binge on some of our favorite entertainment. This is not a message for or against this. This is just acknowledging our human condition. This wouldn't be so popular if it didn't work, if it didn't meet us where our interests are. But what do you do when you start to binge? Now, I've, I've never done that. So I'm just, I'm just uh, going off of research. I asked Pastor Bill what that was like, and he told me. Oh. Um, from what he told me. No, just kidding. He's pretty disciplined, mostly, about this. <laughs> um, uh, you clear your schedule. You know, if you've been waiting for something to come out, you're sitting there going, oh, that's my weekend right there. 
you know, and before you know it, you know, if you, hopefully if it's a man, you know, your beard's grown out and you know, you're just kind of like, wow, I just wasted two straight days because that new season or that new show or whatever just came out. You clear your schedule, you get in the zone, you know, draw the shades, the whole world goes away or something. You begin to feel, feed what's becoming an addiction because you know how they get you. This is how they get you. As the last show is ending and the credits are scrolling, the next one's saying, I'm starting in 20 seconds. Don't go anywhere. Well, I don't want to offend them. I have to see it through. You start to feed this addiction. Then after, after the, the, the show is done or, you know, you've got to put it away, you've got other things you've got to do, or you're moving on or something, you find you're going about, you're in the aisles of the grocery store and the story is still lingering with you. You know, it's like the characters are sticking with you and you're, you're just saturated. Your mind is saturated with the story that these creative people have drawn you into. Now, I don't want to pick on this person too much, but she's not here in this service. So if you tell my wife that I told her it was her, then you know, I'll deny it. But it's kind of cute, so I'll share that it was her. We were watching one of these shows and I, apparently we'd invested just a little too much time in it because it was starting to affect how we were seeing these characters. And then she had us, she laughed after we were done with one of these episodes and she goes, oh my goodness, I just caught myself praying for the main character because they're, <laughs> they're in the middle of all this drama and it's going to not go well for them. She's like, I was just praying for them. I was like, well, that's, I, I guess that's, you know, the Lord's got some use for that somewhere. I don't know. Oh my goodness. So that's when you know it's getting bad. That's when it's like, maybe we should turn this off and walk around the block and get some fresh air or something. You tell other people about it. You follow other similar writers or producers or actors. And you say, well, I really like what they did with this show. Maybe I'll like what they did with that one. You start to follow them. And, uh, you know, this, apparently this isn't just in our house, but you can't go forward in the show until you've figured out where have I seen this actor before? You have to look up their profile. I know, I'm sorry, I'm just bearing my soul before you. Everyone's going, oh, we don't do that. <laughs> Liars. <laughs> so, obviously, this isn't what Jesus meant when he said, abide in me. What I'm trying to do is use the example that we know how to get wrapped up in something if we want to. We know how to not pump the brakes when it's getting a little out of control. We know how to just surrender to the flow and let this thing take you where it wants to lead you. And yet, for some reason, when it comes to who Jesus is, we, we have all of these ex explanations as to why it's not convenient, or maybe it's just not reaching me the right way, or maybe, you know, it's an ancient thing. Maybe it's just not really relevant for today's times and things. I think we know very much how to abide in something. The problem is we're not necessarily surrendering to the one that we should be abiding in. If we desire to, please forgive this poor choice of words, but if we desire to binge on the vine, our prayer life struggles that we have, I don't pray often enough, I don't know the right words to say, I'm afraid to pray in front of other people, all the things that keep us from having the prayer life that somehow, somewhere, we're convicted we don't have, or that we envisioned we would have last year that never really developed, and we say we're going to have it this year. If we knew how to saturate ourselves, if we knew how to binge on who Jesus is, it wouldn't even be a second thought. You didn't sign up for that TV show expecting to promote it to everybody else around you. 
But once it wrapped you in, once it, once it pulled you in, you couldn't help, you couldn't contain yourself. It's the same thing with our prayer life. Our prayer would be as natural to us as letting the next episode just immediately play as the credits are still scrolling from the last one. We wouldn't worry about, well, I don't sound as good in my prayer as that dude over there. Or that lady really knows how to call down angels from heaven or something like that. Like somehow there's some American Idol contest on how strong our prayers need to be. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Jesus, even the, the ultimate authority on how to talk to his father, laid out a very, very simple pattern as an example for us to know how to pray. If we saw prayer as an everyday necessity in the sheepfold, it would lose its awkwardness. It would begin to lose its intimidation. And I I know we're mostly applying our thoughts right now probably towards public prayer, but really just prayer in general. Why do we all agree that it's a good thing to do, but so often we do not do it? I look at being connected to the vine in that binge kind of sense, like the difference between, you know, uh, we went through Christmas. If you had to get a gift for your office um, secret Santa party and the feeling and the connection you had to getting that gift versus getting the gift for the first time for a new boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, the difference in those two, one is just, eh, I don't want to look like an idiot, so I got to make sure I come with something to the office Christmas party. The other one is I can't wait to see how they open it. I can't wait to see if they cry or if they're excited or if it, you know, hits them right where they want it and all that kind of stuff. There's a difference there. When we are wrapped up in the story of who Jesus is, when we are allowing into our life who uh, Christ really is, we start to saturate, we allow our minds to be saturated and prayer becomes sort of like an automatic response. Thank you, God, for this peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Man, I was hungry right now. And look, you gave it to me. Sounds a lot different from, Lord, thank thee for thy wheat bread. And for all that, you know, because it's like this force kind of how do I do this that goes away. And so my encouragement, I guess, this morning is this, is that when it comes to abiding in Jesus and it comes to us beating ourselves up about whether or not we pray more or anything, it really has so little to do with the mechanics. It has so little to do with whether or not you're a a feeling-led prayer where you just want to have this emotional, spiritual connection to God in prayer and it reduces you to tears and all that kind of stuff. Some people do that and they do it well. Some people, that's their their way they experience things and other people are just like, you know what, I I just wanted to be faithful to my list this week. I wanted to make sure that every person was covered in prayer or, you know, things along those lines. And and God didn't specify. He said, be wrapped up in me, binge on me, and then talk to me about it. Open up to me about it. Let me respond to you in a way that I've created you. And so it becomes less about, did I pray five times this week or was I reduced to tears in my prayer closet? It becomes more about, I'm just having this reaction to being in life and in love with this savior and so um, that is the awkwardness that is the weirdness of one of the aspects of life in the sheepfold and and sheep we just know how to bleat we just and then fortunately the scripture says we knew that you wouldn't know how to make any sense of this 
you're going to, how many, how many times do I hear this confession of like, man, I sit down to pray and I'm all in the zone. I really want to do it. And as soon as I start praying, I start thinking about, I need to get the oil changed on the car. I need to do, you know, my list, my, my daily list and everything. And so fortunately the scripture says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for your prayers and he communicates with your father with groanings that can't be interpreted or, or, or uttered by the human tongue. And he takes what you intended to say to the Father and he makes it count. He makes it so that the, that the Father can hear what you're saying. Why? Because we're messed up. Because we need grace covering every aspect of us. Because even when we intend to speak to him and we get our, our fathers out and we try to, and we still blow that. And he's like, man, it's just so adorable that you're even trying to do that with me. But I just love hearing your voice. Just keep talking. So let's not put so much pressure on ourselves about how we pray. Let's develop in our life, absolutely. Let's not just be sloppy about things. But God will take the words that come out of your mouth as they are, and he'll refine them, he'll adjust them. And the goal isn't to make you a sharper prayer. The goal is to have you in deeper communion with your Father who loves you and can't wait to hear the sound of your voice. Even this voice that's breaking up on me right now. Well, let's do just that together. Lord God, we thank you, Father, for interceding and even what I'm saying to you now. My mind races a million different ways when I close my eyes. Lord, because I'm human, I'm thinking so much about the things I'm saying out loud, making sense to other people in this room, even though I'm supposed to just be talking to you. But Lord, that's my point. Is that prayer was meant to be our communication between you and me. It was meant for me to be able to share with you the things that are heavy on my heart. Or to lift up to you the people that are broken, that need your fixing. Or to um, need uh, your grace to come into their hearts and into their lives and to put them on a path of following you. So Lord, however I do that, however I mess that up, thank you for covering that for me. I pray you'd encourage other listeners in this room this morning to get into that flow of communion with you to be able to open up and just talk to you and to sometimes be silent, to sometimes get through the whole list, to do the things that we want to do before you because you've wired us certain ways. But Lord, we thank you that you cover it all because you are God and we are not. Thank you for hearing us today. In Jesus' name, amen.